few minutes. Um, but let me mention this, uh, Moms and Tots on Friday at 10.30, and then uh, Saturday, men's breakfast at 8 o'clock, and then also we'll have visitation after that. So um, a couple other things, no visitation the next week, um, but also the pie and praise sign-up sheet is out there. Um, if you would, please sign up whether you plan to bring pie or not. Now, if you, can't, if you don't have time to make one, homemade is the best, but if you can't make one, and you can just buy one, then that's helpful um, as well. But I signed up out there, and you can see how I would like you to do it. Put your name on there and how many are coming in your family. And if you're going to bring a pie, just put like a little P in parentheses next to your name. That way we'll know that you're bringing one. We can kind of keep track. We're going we're gonna to pick up a couple as well. Um, but just that way, um, that way we make sure we have enough. It's going to be hard to split up one pie between everybody, right? So... Um, if you can bring one, if there's, if there's any way that you can make one, of course, that would be the best. But if you can't um, and you can just buy one, then, then that would be helpful as well. So um, looking forward to that service. That's next Tuesday. So no service next Wednesday. Moving it back to Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Um, we're not going to have any um, Lighthouse kids either and no prayer meeting. Okay. So um, I should have mentioned that to you maybe a little sooner. But no, no prayer meeting and no Lighthouse Kids, just service at 7 o'clock, and then also um, we're not going to have any questions next week either. So don't not read it, because then you're going to be so far behind, you're going to have to read the entire book of Ezekiel, and that's not going to be fun, I can tell you that much, all right? So, all right, let's, um, let's get into this tonight. Um, I'm, I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction than I thought I was going to go in, honestly. Uh, we're talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and um, uh, Ellen G. White is, she's not the founder, but she is very, very influential in a lot of the things that she wrote. Um, she was never ordained as a pastor. She was never considered a leader within the church, um, but she wrote extensively on the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and her, her writings have been considered not on par with the Bible by any stretch, um, and I think that's a kind of a misunderstanding that, that people have is that, oh, Ellen G. White is, you know, and they call her a prophet, and, and we're going to discuss some of that, not tonight. We're going to talk about that. We're going to address that issue amongst the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, but she was very influential in kind of um, not establishing their doctrine. That's not the right word, but documenting their doctrine, maybe. And um, she was looked at as a prophetess, and she was looked at as somebody with authority, even though she was never a preacher, even though she was never ordained, even though she was never a minister in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They still, they still very highly value her writings. But what I want to talk about tonight, and, and I told you last week we talked about the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and then kind of some of the organizational structure of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What I want to talk about tonight is some of the doctrinal similarities between Christianity, what we know as Christianity, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church makes a very strong statement of faith in the fundamental doctrines of the Bible when it comes to salvation. Um, and that's where the line between cult or non-cult and Christian or non-Christian come into play. There's a lot of people on both sides that would say they're a cult or they're not a cult. There's a lot of people on both sides that would say they're a Christian uh, church or they're not a Christian church. Um, there are good men on both sides of the debate. And when I say good men, you would recognize the names of the men on both sides. 
And I, I, I did not expect that when I started studying out the Seventh-day Adventist church that I would be faced with that kind of decision, uh, trying to figure out if they were a cult or not, or trying to figure out if they were Christian or not. I just, in my mind, automatically assumed Seventh-day Adventist church, they got false doctrines, they're not us. Um, one of the foremost authors on cults is Walter Martin, wrote a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. It's very, very highly regarded by people in independent fundamental Baptists and everywhere in between. But um, he wrote a book that I heavily rely on when I'm, when I'm working on these, you know, and studying through these cults called The Kingdom of the Cults. And he, every one of these uh, cults that we've studied so far, I have gotten many quotes out of his book. Um, but this is what he had to say about Adventism. He said, it should be carefully remembered that the Adventism of today is different in not a few places from the Adventism of 1844. And with that change, the necessity of a new evaluation comes naturally. It is my conviction that one cannot be a true Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, Christian scientist, etc., and be a Christian in the biblical sense of the term. But it is perfectly possible to be a Seventh-day Adventist and be a true follower of Jesus Christ despite, despite certain heterodox concepts. Now, heterodox, what does hetero mean? Different, right? Homo means same, hetero means different. So when you talk about homosexual, right, heterosexual, you see the difference. So when you talk about a heterodox concept, it means things that differ from mainstream Christianity, if you will. And what he's saying is it's perfectly possible to hold to everything that the Seventh-day Adventists believe and still be a Christian even though there are some doctrines that are not the same as what we believe. Um, one of the issues that arises um, is that you have some of these liberal factions of the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, that exert their influence and deny many or all of the things that we're going to look at that are things that are the same. And, and again, a, a lot of people within our own denomination don't even agree on certain doctrines, right? And you have people who consider themselves to be an independent fundamental Baptist who write some outlandish things where you think, where in the world did you come up with that doctrine from? That does not represent me. That does not represent all independent fundamental Baptists, right? And I think that's kind of what's happened with some of this Seventh-day Adventist writings. You have some people who have made some statements that are definitely doctrinally incorrect and definitely doctrinally incorrect when it comes to salvation. But you can't necessarily say that they represent all of Seventh-day Adventism, and you can't say that, that uh, all of Seventh-day Adventism is wrong because you've got a few people that wrote on this. And, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to read you a lot of quotes tonight, many of them from the official Seventh-day Adventist doctrinal book, which is actually called Questions on Doctrine, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the other side of that coin is that it all depends on which side you land on in the debate, whether you are going to say they're a cult or they're not a cult, whether you're going to say they're Christian or not Christian, and you can make a good argument on both sides. Um, and that's, that's why it's such a, it's, it really is a fine balance trying to figure it out. And I'm, I'm going to kind of leave that to you, but I've decided to let the, uh, let the Adventist speak for themselves rather than depending on what somebody said about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And when you allow them to do that, most of the statements that they make on the major doctrines actually line up with the Word of God. Um, and that's, like I'm saying, that's something that I never thought I would say. That's something that I never thought I would 
come to that conclusion, but I've studied it a lot, especially this week and going through their doctrines, and the more I got into it, the more I started saying, maybe there's some more things that I need to look at here to make sure that I'm you know, giving the correct perspective and everything else, and the more I studied it and the more I read into it and the more I uh, looked into their actual statements, I think that they, they do agree very much. Now, remember I said this uh, last week, that in about the 1950s, 1940s, 1950s, the Seventh-day Adventist church really started pushing away from a lot of the early Adventist um, doctrines and theories and principles and started moving toward Protestantism, if you will, and started trying to align themselves with Protestantism. And that's when a lot of Protestants said, you know what, they're a whole lot more like us than we realize. And I think what happened is they actually did move away from some of the false doctrines that they had from about 1844 to the mid-1920s. From 1844 to the 1920s, I don't know if you could say that they were a church that actually preached the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But after that, and once they officially defined what they really believe, I think you almost have to say that, that even though there's a lot of doctrines that differ from what we believe, and I wouldn't fellowship with a Seventh-day Adventist, I wouldn't have meetings with Seventh-day Adventists, but I do believe that if they hold to what they say they believe, that many of them are Christians. Many, if not all of them, are Christians. At, at least the same way that we look at it within our own denomination, Baptists. I mean, how many Baptists are actually Christians, right? But if they hold to what they say a Baptist believes, then you'd have to say that they're Christian according to the Word of God. So I want to make it clear that they have some major doctrinal issues that we're going to talk about. Um, but I don't think those doctrinal issues are so big that it would keep them from understanding the message of the gospel of salvation and actually getting saved. So let's get into some of those things. The Seventh-day Adventist Church actually makes a strong, emphatic statement regarding salvation by grace through faith. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, especially as it, as it sought to redefine itself and move away from some of those early doctrines that... that uh, um, they, they really did have an unclear definition of exactly what they believed. And so to ultimately define their doctrine, they started having a lot of people, especially once, once some of the Protestant denominations started kind of getting wind that, okay, maybe some of these Seventh-day Adventists are a little bit more like us than we realize. Okay, what do you actually believe? And the Seventh-day Adventists realized that they had writings from all over the place, from all kinds of different people, and they didn't have all of their doctrines written down in one place anywhere. So as a denomination, they got together with some of their leaders of the denomination, some of the heads of the, the, uh, um, the general conference and so on, and they wrote a book called Questions on Doctrine in 1957 that ultimately defined exactly what they believe on basically every issue. Now, this is in, in no way a Bible. This was not their version of trying to write out what, the, what, you know, what they were going to follow and believe and everything else. This was basically just a very detailed statement of faith. Um, and so it, it gave them more, wide, more widespread acceptance in Protestantism because of the clear definition of salvation. Here's what was written about salvation. This is what they said. There has been regrettable misunderstanding as to our teaching on grace, law, and works and their interrelationships. According to Seventh-day Adventist belief, there is and can be no salvation through the law or by human works of the law, but only through the saving grace of God. This principle to us is basic. Salvation is not now and never has been by law or works. 
Salvation is only by the grace of Christ. Moreover, there never was a time in the plan of God when salvation was by human works or effort. Nothing men can do or have done can in any way merit salvation. While works are not a means of salvation, good works are the inevitable result of salvation. One thing is certain, man cannot be saved by any effort of his own. We profoundly believe that no works of the law, no deeds of the law, no effort, however commendable, and no good works, whether they be many or few, sacrificial or not, can in any way justify the sinner. Salvation is holy of grace. It is the gift of God. That's pretty clear. I don't know how you could get any more clear than that when it comes to it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with grace by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and they're very, very uh, clear on that. Now, I have some issues with Ellen G. White, which we're going to discuss. But one of the criticisms or evidences against the Seventh-day Adventist Church is her statement about obedience to the law as a means of salvation. Uh, that quite honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to defend her necessarily, but it's been taken out of context. Um, here's what she wrote. We do not earn salvation by our obedience. For salvation is the free gift of God to receive by faith. But obedience is the fruit of faith. Here's the true test. If we abide in Christ and the love of God dwells in us, our feelings, our thoughts, our actions will be in harmony with the will of God as expressed in the precepts of his holy law. Righteousness is defined by the standard of God's holy law as expressed in the ten precepts given on Sinai. That so-called faith in Christ that professes to release men from the obligation of obedience to God is not faith but presumption. By grace are you saved through faith, but faith, if it has not works, is dead. Jesus said of himself before he came to earth, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And just before he ascended again to heaven, he declared, I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The scripture says, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith he abides in him ought also himself to walk even as he walked, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, that most people don't have a problem with, but it's because they never have gone back and read what she wrote about that. This is the statement that they have a problem with. The condition of eternal life is now just what it always has been, just what it always was in paradise before the fall of our first parents, perfect obedience to the law of God, perfect righteousness. Okay, well, if you take that statement, it very much sounds like she's saying it's by works. It's by perfect obedience. It's by all these things. And if you take that statement by itself, then you could absolutely say that that's wrong and that's, you know, salvation by works. But she continues, since we are sinful, unholy, we cannot perfectly obey a holy law. We have no righteousness of our own with which to meet the claims of the law of God. But Christ has made a way of escape for us. He lived on earth amid trials and temptations such as we have to meet. He lived a sinless life. He died for us, and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are counted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. So we have nothing in ourselves of which to boast. We have no grounds for self-exaltation. Our only ground of hope is in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by his spirit working in and through us. That, to me, is a very, very solid statement of faith in Jesus Christ without works. Um, even Dr. Anthony Huckema, and I believe I'm saying that the right way, he believes that Seventh-day Adventism is a non-Christian cult. And I'm telling you, there's, there's lots of good people on both sides. Um, 
But he makes this interesting admission, and he's not a friend of, Adventi of, of Adventism. So I don't think you could say that this statement would be in any way biased or in any way prejudiced, but he said this. I am of the conviction that Seventh-day Adventism is a cult and not an evangelical denomination. It is recognized with gratitude that there are certain soundly scriptural emphases in the teaching of Seventh-day Adventism. We're thankful for the Adventist affirmation of the infallibility of the Bible, of the Trinity, of the full deity of Jesus Christ. We gratefully acknowledge their teachings on creation and providence, on the incarnation and resurrection of Christ, on the absolute necessity for regeneration and sanctification by the Holy Spirit and on Christ's literal, literal return. Now, this is a guy who says this is a non-Christian cult, and he says, I have to admit that this is what they believe. Walter Martin wrote that statement in his book, and this is what he sums up that statement. He said, it's puzzling to me as a student of non-Christian cult systems how any group can hold these doctrines in their proper biblical context and still be a non-Christian cult. Suffice it to say that the Adventists do have a clean bill of health where the major doctrines of Christian theology are involved. And I have to agree with him. If you're saying all of these things, um, oh, Brother Josh, go back to the last, if you will, last slide. All of these things, thankful for their affirmation of the infallibility of the Bible, of the Trinity, of the deity of Christ, creation, providence, incarnation, resurrection, regeneration, sanctification, the literal return of Jesus Christ. I don't know how you can call that a non-Christian, number one, but a cult, number two. I don't know how you can, I, I don't know how you can come to that conclusion. Um, and this, that's obviously, like I said, that was written by a, a man who was trying to prove that Seventh-day Adventism is a cult and that it's not Christian. So, um, but to, to kind of summarize, they believe the Bible is the Word of God and that it is their only standard of truth. One of the things that, you know, we mentioned earlier about all the other religions that we've studied so far is that they have adhered to some other authority besides the Bible. Now, they might include the Bible, but they, they always adhere to something else, whether it's, you know, uh, the Koran for Muhammad. Well, uh, for, for Islam, or whether it's the Book of Mormon in Mormonism, or whether it's, you know, um, the Christian Science Bible, or the uh, Jehovah's Witness, you know, um, uh, New Living Translation, all those different, every single one of them had something other than the Word of God that they used as their final authority. Seventh-day Adventism has the Bible as their final authority and nothing else, um, even if they misinterpret it in some areas. Uh, they still hold to the Bible as their final authority. And we're going to talk about where they misinterpret it because I do believe they are wrong doctrinally on some major issues. Um, but here's what their questions on doctrine states in relation to the Bible. Seventh-day Adventists believe that all Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, from Genesis to Revelation, was given by inspiration of God and constitutes the very Word of God, the truth that liveth and abideth forever. We recognize the Bible as the ultimate and final authority on what is truth. Seventh-day Adventists hold the Protestant position that the Bible and the Bible only is the sole rule of faith and practice for Christians. We believe that all theological beliefs must be measured by the living word, judged by its truth, and whatsoever is unable, unable to pass this test or is found to be out of harmony with this message is to be rejected. We believe in the authority veracity, reliability, and the truth of the Holy Scriptures. The same union of the divine and the human that is manifested in Christ exists in the Bible. Its truths revealed are given by inspiration of God, yet are couched in the words of men. 
it may be tempting to say that, oh, they're just saying that because they're trying to make themselves sound like a Christian religion. They're just saying that because they want to, you know, they want to be accepted by Protestantism and so on. But uh, that's not just some statement that they put out. This is their questions on doctrine. This is their definitive doctrinal statement that was put out by the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. So uh, the 28 fundamental beliefs are the core beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And they don't call it a creed because they said they don't believe in creeds, but it's, it's their belief system, essentially, and there's 28 of them. Uh, the preamble to the 28 fundamentals states that Adventists accept the Bible as their only authority. And um, they say that they're, you know, this questions on, or these 28 fundamentals could be revised if, if for some reason we are convinced that they're not biblical. I don't see a cult doing that at all. A cult is not going to come out and say, oh, well, if the Bible, if, we, if we've been proven wrong by the word of God, then we'll change it. But this is the statement in the preamble. Seventh-day Adventism accepts the Bible as their only creed and holds certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs, as set forth here, constitute the church's understanding and expression of the teaching of Scripture. Revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when their church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teachings of God's holy word. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can ask for anything more than that. I, I do believe they're wrong on some issues, and I keep saying it. We're going to talk about those things. But when they have as their statement in the beginning of their beliefs, if we find out that someone, something in these beliefs are wrong, we'll change them. I don't know. I, don't know, I, I, I wish everybody was that way, right? Uh, you can't ask for much more than that. So, now, they believe that, that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross to, to atone for sin, that he physically rose from the dead, that, that salvation is by grace through faith. But there's a common accusation against them that I believe they have an answer for. Uh, a lot of people would argue that they wrongly believe that Jesus was sinless, but that he did have the old sinful nature. Now, he didn't sin while he was on this earth, but when he was born, he had the sin nature. That's significant, because if Jesus had a sin nature, then that would mean that he was born in sin. That would mean that he had original sin, and therefore he would not be sinless, right? You could go your entire life without having sinned. Now, it's impossible to do that, but you can go your entire life without sinning and still be dead in your sins because you were born in sin, right? If Jesus Christ was born in sin, that means he was not sinless. And so the accusation against the Seventh-day Adventist church is that they say that Jesus was sinless, but he was born in sin. Look what it says in Psalm 51 and verse 5. If you turned there hours ago, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Well, you didn't sin when you were being born, right? You didn't sin when you were being conceived, but you have sin because it's passed down from Adam. Pass from one generation to the next. We are born in sin. So that's very significant because if Jesus was born in sin with that sin nature, then he could not be sinless and somebody had to pay for his sins, right? So that's very, very significant. Well, the accusation is that the Seventh-day Adventist church says that Jesus actually just rose above that sin nature and never actually sinned. But the, the, the Bible is very clear that Jesus knew no sin at all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Right? So it's very clear that Jesus never sinned. But what does the Seventh-day Adventist church have to say to that accusation? It's important, I think, to note where this accusation came from in the first place. And if you know where it came from in the first place, then it makes a whole lot more sense later on. Uh, their, this, the statement that they made, and I'll read the statement to you, actually appeared in an article that was called, in a magazine that was called Signs of the Times. It was an art, a magazine that was produced by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This actually was, was printed in Signs of the Times in March of 1927. And um, it was published again in uh, another magazine called Bible Readings for the Home Circle in 1944. The article says this. My quotation is from L.A. Wilcox, for many years an editor of the Signs of the Times, which according to the latest figures given by Adventists, has been published by them for 82 years. Certainly a statement by an editor of that publication may be considered official. I'm sure that anything that Mr. Wilcox wrote did not just happen to get in. In March of 1927, this is what Wilcox wrote. In his, Christ's, veins was the incubus of a tainted heredity like a caged lion ever seeking to break forth and destroy. Temptation attacked him, whereby heredity he was weakest, attacked him in unexpected times and ways. In spite of bad blood and an inherited meanness, he conquered. Well, in December of 1928 issue of the Signs and Times, this editor, Mr. Wilcox, said, Jesus took humanity with all its liabilities, with all its dreadful risks of yielding to temptation. So, critics have picked up on that and said, they're saying that Jesus was born in sin, which is, is, is exactly what Wilcox is saying here. Now, first of all, Wilcox was never actually an editor of the Signs of the Times magazine. He did write for them, but he was not an editor. So, the accusation is, well, he's an editor. They didn't get in there by accident, so obviously they meant to publish this. Secondly, Mr. Wilcox, who wrote that article, said this in a letter that was dated April 26 of 1957. Now, you remember, he wrote that original statement in 1927. Thirty years later, in 1957, he wrote this. The writer of the Signs article was a very young man in 1927, and not by any means always felicitous in his phraseology. I know, for I was that writer. The first sentence quoted is crude and shocking and theologically inaccurate, and I was properly spanked for it by Adventist officials, which proves that this article cannot be truly represented as official or authoritative. It is no more than fair to point out that no man has taught more earnestly or fervently than I, as an Adventist minister, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, salvation by grace, righteousness by faith, the finished work of Calvary, a Christ-centered religion, than I, with the amen of the Seventh-day Adventist leadership. All you'd have to do is see their correct theological statement on the deity and the sinlessness of Christ to go, um, all you have to do to see that statement is to go to their questions on doctrine and read their statements. It's very quite, it's Quite clear, and it's long, but in part, this is what it says. In his human nature, he maintained the purity of his divine character. He was unsullied by corruption, a stranger to sin. He was a mighty petitioner, not possessing the passions of our human fallen natures, but compassed with like infirmities, tempted in all points like as we are. He was perfect and undefiled by sin. He was without spot or blemish. blemish. Jesus, coming to dwell in humanity, received no pollution. So, 
I would agree that anybody that wants to attack Seventh-day Adventism about their statement of Jesus Christ being born in sin would have absolute reason to do that because that 1927 article is very plain that that's what he was saying. But in 1957, this man came back and said, I was dead wrong. I published that, but I was, I was admonished by the Adventist you know, administration that this is not biblical, and I recognize that it's not biblical. And since then, I have very much preached that Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless. And then they came back later on, and this in their, in their official questions on doctrine said, Jesus was absolutely sinless. So that accusation is there. And if it had not been corrected, then yes, absolutely, it would be a very deep theological error that I don't know if you could say uh, could be combated because Jesus Christ then would not be sinless and he would not have the ability and the power to, to forgive sin. So another accusation, and we've only got a, a, a couple more minutes left here, but another accusation is that the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches that the atonement was not finished on Calvary. Um, there's some basis to that accusation based on the writings of, of some of these earlier Seventh-day Adventists um, Uriah Smith said this in his book, Looking Unto Jesus. Christ did not make the atonement when he shed his blood upon the cross. Well, that's very blasphemous, right? J.J. Wagner, another one, said there is a clear distinction between the death of Christ and the atonement. And even some of the, the more recent writers have been influenced by these early proponents of, of Adventism. But that most certainly is a wrong doctrine. Um, but a little research shows that those men wrote over 100 years ago, and that concept has been repudiated by the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. They don't believe that, and they've made it very clear that they don't believe that. So um, uh, in fairness, I think that the current position of the Seventh-day Adventist church, not the writings of, of men sp spread out over 100 years, is the defining uh, doctrine for this church. Again, I have an issue with Ellen G. White, but she wrote the following in the Review and Herald on September 21st, 1901. Christ planted the cross between heaven and earth, and when the Father beheld the sacrifice of his Son, he bowed before it in recognition of his perfection. It is enough, he said. The atonement is completed. Same periodical, um, the Review and Herald. Um, in 1899, she wrote this. No language could convey the rejoicing of heaven or God's expression of satisfaction and delight in his only begotten son when he saw the completion of the atonement. I don't know how you can be more clear than that. Yes, you can take some of these statements from some of these other people and say that it's doctrinally wrong. And those statements are doctrinally wrong. But the official position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, again, nothing could be clearer than the declaration of the Adventists themselves. When one hears an Adventist say or reads in Adventist literature, even in the writings of Ellen G. White, that Christ is making atonement now, it should be understood that we mean simply that Christ is now making application of the benefits of the sacrificial atonement he made on the cross, that he's making it efficacious for us individually according to our needs and requests. Mrs. White herself, as far back as 1857, clearly explained what she means when she writes of Christ's making atonement for us in his ministry. She wrote this, the great sacrifice had been offered and had been accepted. And the Holy Spirit, which descended on the day of Pentecost, carried the minds of the disciples from the earthly sanctuary to the heavenly, where Jesus entered by his own blood to shed upon his disciples the benefits of his atonement. Now, that is a little bit clouded by their doctrine of the sanctuary, which we're going to talk about because they're wrong on that. We're going to discuss that later on in further detail when we look at the doctrinal errors of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
But there are quite a few other doctrines that um, traditional Christianity and Seventh-day Adventist doctrine agrees. They, they believe, and this is, quote, that Jesus Christ arose literally and bodily from the grave and ascended literally and bodily up to heaven, where he now serves as our advocate in priestly ministry and mediation before the Father. Great statement. Here's another one. They believe that, quote, Jesus Christ will return in a premillennial, personal, imminent second advent. Jesus will assuredly come the second time. His second advent will be visible, audible, and personal. Seventh-day Adventists believe on the evidence of Scripture that there will be one visible, personal, glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. That's about as straightforward as it can be, according to the Word of God. They also they believe in heterosexual marriage. Um, and that it's the only grounds for sexual intimacy. They believe in, they encourage abstinence before marriage. They, they um, which many organizations do this, but they, um, they strongly oppose abortion and euthanasia. They, they have also traditionally held very socially conservative attitudes um, when it comes to dress and entertainment. Here's what they wrote. One of their 28 fundamental beliefs says this. For the Spirit to recreate in us the character of our Lord, we involve ourselves only in those things which will produce Christ-like purity, health, and joy in our lives. This means that our amusement and entertainment should meet the highest standards of Christian taste and beauty. While recognizing cultural differences, our dress is to be simple, modest, and neat, befitting those whose true beauty does not consist of outward adornment, but in the imperishable ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit. They also, they're opposed to uh, tattoos and body piercings and all of those kind of things as well. And you can find that very readily in their 28, uh, 28 fundamental beliefs. Uh, now, that alone does not mean that they're right. The Mormons do a lot of that stuff, right? Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses do a lot of that stuff. It does not mean you're right. But they are a whole lot more like us than I personally realized the Seventh-day Adventist Church was. Um, on the fundamental doctrines of salvation by grace through faith, on the inerrancy of Scripture, on uh, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, on his uh, ascension back to heaven, on his second coming to earth. They're very much in line with the Scripture and what we believe the Scripture says in all of those doctrines. Now, there are some major doctrinal errors that they have. I don't think that those doctrinal errors are something that would, that would make us say that they wouldn't be saved, but it's a, they're major doctrinal errors that would make us say this, this is not an organization or a denomination that we should be fellowshipping with. Um, and so we, we have to draw the line at separation. Can two walk together except they be agreed, right? Um, there's, there's lots of disagreements that we have that are pretty major disagreements that would keep us from fellowshipping with them and doing events and or, or, you know organizations and things like that with them. But... To say that they're a cult, I don't think you can say that. To say that they're not Christian, I don't think you can say that. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time back and forth on this, especially this week, and really trying to study it out to make sure. And I'm not saying something that should not be said. Um, but if you look at not just hearsay or not just, you know, well, they say they believe this or somebody said they believe that. If you look at their actual statement of faith when it comes to questions on doctrine, those major issues, especially when it comes to salvation by grace through faith, they're right on. 
with what the Bible says about how we get saved, how we go to heaven, how we accept Jesus Christ, his atonement, his, uh, you know, regeneration, all of that stuff. They're right on those things. So um, anyway, when we get back together, and we're done for tonight, but when we get back together, we're going to look at some of the some of the aberrant doctrines, if you will, some of the doctrines that are wrong and why they're wrong according to the Bible. Um, some of them are going to take a little bit of time to try to explain because we've never heard them before, or at least you know, the majority of those who have grown up in the Baptist denomination or Christian, so, so to speak, denomination have not heard of them before. Um, so we're going to talk about those as well. There are enough... There are enough to, for me to say that they're not us, they're not, they're, not, um, they're not somebody that we fellowship with, but I don't think they're so far gone that we would say that they're somebody who's not saved, if they hold to what the main doctrines of the Adventist church teaches. You can come to your own conclusion, but I've, I think I've come to mine, so let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you again that we have the truths of the Word of God. I pray that you'd give us wisdom in discerning these things. And God, I do pray for those that we come into contact with, whether they're Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, doesn't matter. We need to make sure they're saved. And I pray that you'd help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be as we try to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.